being an Anglican church, Church of the Reformation, the, the goal by Archbishop Thomas Cranmer in the 1500s was not to chuck out the baby with the bathwater. There were abuses and wrong interpretations of Scripture that the Roman Catholic Church at the time was taking, and we still have some problems there as well. But the reality is, he didn't want to chuck out the baby with the bathwater. So, we still very much liturgical, but we fixed the problems. At the same time, we didn't want to become what now has become the radical, independent Bible church. So, he described it as we're the middle way. If you look at Christendom as a swamp, we're the causeway in the middle of the swamp between the Roman Catholic Church and independent Bible church. And I share that with you is because we still light candles. We still wear robes because they're symbolic of something greater than ourselves, especially something greater than your rector, because it's all about Christ and his love for us. And we approach the fourth Sunday of Advent as all four are lit, and I hope you're continuing to do that as a family together. Yeah, I missed a few this week. Welcome to the human race, you know? Um, just p- keep plugging. Keep going. Let's stay in the Word as families, because this week our focus is agape love, the unconditional love of God for us, His people. Now, you look at this Matthew text, and, you know, uh, I know it's familiar to you. (laughs) You've heard it. You've read it many, many, many times. And you're probably thinking to yourself, so what? You know, here we are. Let's just get on with Christmas, Gene. And it, but, you know, I, I look at that as kind of like the crack that's in your wall, either in your basement or somewhere in your house. You know it's there, and after a while, you may have even tried to fix it, but it comes back. And, you know, the reality is, it's there. It's not going to get worse, necessarily. And you don't even notice it anymore. Growing up in Washington, D.C., outside of D.C., you know, you go on Route 50 or I-66 going into town on Constitution Avenue... You know, you bring somebody from out of town, and they go, wow, look at that. It's the Iwo Jima Memorial. Wow, look at that. It's the White House. Wow, look at that. It's the Washington Monument. I can see the Capitol. And you're like, yeah. You know, I've seen them a thousand times. But you know, like that crack that's in your basement, or like that crack in the wall, if you don't pay attention to it and find out what it is, It could lead to some serious structural damage. And so we're going to look at God's word in Matthew 1. I encourage you to look with me there. For this text will help us understand Christmas. If we understand Christmas, we understand the Bible. And if we understand the Bible, we truly understand Christmas. Because what we see in this text is God is with us in all of our lives. He's with us in our crises. He's with us in our experiences, and he's with us to rescue us. Okay, that's what we're going to see this morning. He's, the Lord is present in our lives, through our crises and our experiences of our lives, as well as with a purpose to rescue us. Verse 18, he is with us in our crisis. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child 
from the Holy Spirit. Quick review. The whole betrothal that you see in verse 18 is a legally binding marriage ceremony. When a young man wanted to marry a girl in the Jewish faith, he would approach the father and he would bring his father with him. Because, you know, there was, there was a dowry to negotiate between one another. And so, therefore, after that was negotiated, you went to the bride's, hopefully, bride's house. And the father had a cup of wine and a pitcher where he'd pour the wine into you. You would take a drink from it, and she knew what you were about to do. This was the Jewish way of getting down on one knee and say, I love you, please marry me. And he took the cup of wine and he handed it to her. And even though this had all been arranged for her, she had a choice. She could hand it back and say, no way, Joe, I'm not marrying you. Or she could drink saying, I accept your proposal. I will be your wife. And upon drinking it, she was now betrothed. It was legal. The whole community thought they were married. But for one year, she remained in her family's house while he remained in his, preparing a house for her. And a year later, they would have the marriage ceremony where the marriage would get consummated. So it's in that culture, all of a sudden, Joseph's beloved teenage bride-to-be comes to him and says, Hey, Joe. I am with child conceived by the Holy Spirit that Isaiah was talking about. Fellas, what would you think? She had just been in another village visiting Mary, her cousin Elizabeth, right? I mean, you would be as shocked as Joseph is. But what we see is that even in this crisis, God is present with both Mary and Joseph, although the focus in Matthew really is more on Joseph, even though this is our Mary Sunday. But Mary, in the midst of this crisis, stays the course. Can you imagine? What courage. But she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and she knows it. And she's not going to waver. But God is with Joseph and her, even in this crisis. And he's with you in yours as well. Because the Christian life, I hope you know by now, I've been with you nine years. Ladies and gentlemen, the Christian life is not always an easy task. Oh yes, there's great joy in walking with the Lord. Oh yes, there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. But that doesn't mean we are immune from difficulties in life. And so crises come, and what this text first tells us, even though they're betrothed, even though Mary is found to be with child, God is with them in this crisis. Let's continue. Because he's also with them, and it's particularly Joseph, in his experience in meeting God. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
Joseph's a just man. He had every legal right under Jewish law to have her stoned. That was the Jewish form of execution. Because a covenant people need to be show they're different from the cultures around them. And, and the Lord and the Torah made that very clear. But actually, in the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew, we don't have a lot of records about stonings. And uh, by the way, fellas, if you were caught as an adulterer, you would get stoned too. This wasn't, this was very fair, just system. At the same time, Joseph, he loved her. He was looking forward to being married, and he didn't want to shame her. He didn't want to have her killed. And like I'm sure many, many people in similar shoes decided to divorce her quietly. You had to file divorce proceedings. And so he decided to do that, and that's what we all do, you know, in such cases. We probably all would do the same. But as he did so, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and God spoke to him through dreams. That might be foreign to us, but God does so. We know God speaks primarily through us as believers through his word. Every night when I go to bed, I pray, Oh Lord, and should it be your will, I pray you would speak to me through my dreams. Now, I'm a real heavy sleeper, so I guess the Lord just in, in my life says, Boy, I'm leaving you alone, just rest, because you're not going to get it anyway. Kim's a light sleeper. You know, if I do a quarter turn, I bought a king-size mattress this year for the first time in our 32 years of marriage. And when I turn, she can't feel me turn for the first time. It's so good for her. She's sleeping a, a little better, but she's such a light sleeper. Now, the Lord, not to my knowledge, has spoken to her in a dream, but it's a good thing to pray. What a gift it would be should the Lord speak to his beloved in dreams. But he's given us his word. Most of what we need to know is here, but he also does speak through dreams. He speaks through the body of Christ as we're going through such crises. He speaks in that still, small voice if it's consistent with the word. I had a person come up to me back in Beaver and said, you know, the Lord has told me that I'm to divorce my wife. Well, you know, th there are some conditions that divorce is allowed. And so I said, well, tell me about the conditions. And after listening to him, I said, brother, the Lord isn't speaking to you. That's your own flesh. So you need to make sure that still small voice is consistent with the word of God. And there's wisdom of many counselors, says Proverbs eleven fourteen. And notice Joseph didn't act rashly and he didn't act quickly. The great thing about getting a little older, young people, is that you get a little more wise and you don't have to act immediately necessarily. And there's wisdom with God's people. So, in other words, he slept on it. And as he did so, God powerfully spoke to him. We know God's speaking to many in the 1040 Muslim world today. It's exciting to see many, guess where the... the Christian faith is growing most rapidly today in the Middle East. Iran. And predominantly through dreams. But also, just recently, they've been able to patch in through TV programs and everything that the government can't control, gospel programs with Farsi and, and, and Arabic 
and in Urdu and all the Arabic languages, what they're discovering is God is speaking powerfully through the word and through dreams, and more and more people are looking at ISIS and they're saying, if that's what Islam is, I don't want anything to do with it. So keep praying. Don't stop praying for the world, dear friends. This gospel will go over in the way God so chooses. And he spoke to Joseph in this crisis in a particular way that he doesn't necessarily speak to us this way, but he can, and he might. And he speaks to us in the midst of an experience. We experience God every single time we come to the Word. You know, it was this week as I opened up this Word and I read it, and I said... Well, wow, oh Lord, that's an exciting passage we've heard about 1,500 times. And all of a sudden, you know what I realized? I haven't even prayed before I read it. Who am I to think that I can stand here and give God's people a proper word on the Lord's day if I haven't prayed over it and asked Him to speak to me? Well, it's the same for you, brothers and sisters. Every single time as you open it up, pray first. Ask the Holy Spirit to move, and he will. And you can experience him as he speaks to you through the power of his word. But he might speak to you in a dream. He might speak to you through another brother or sister. He might speak to you in that still small voice that's consistent with the word of God. Test it. But he will be present with us in our crises And in our experiences. And finally, he does so for our rescue. Verse 21. She will bear a son, Joseph, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. All you need to know about Christmas are these two names. God with us in order to rescue us. Which mean so much if you will take five seconds and think about it. God with us. I know some of you hear that and go, okay, God's with me. That's great. That's wonderful. But you know, friends, God with us means all the difference as we approach next Saturday night and next Sunday. Because there are people in our midst and in our community that have gone through serious crises this week, and they need to hear once again, God is with you. God loves you this much. Because some people are going to have Christmas dinner at Denny's. Some people are going to be all alone because a loved one has died and there's no one in that rocking chair. There's an empty seat at the dining room table now. And for many of us, it's a time of family and friends. And if you come to the Sherman house, I apologize, we're loud. We're loud. We sing all a bunch of crazy songs. And we just have, we, have, we enjoy being together. But it's not so for everybody. So invite that, that widow or widower in. Invite that lonely friend in. And let's be that different people. Because God is with us, and sometimes it's through us, his people. But it's not that he's with us, he's also for us. Because what does his name mean? Class? He's with us, who does, Jesus says, what's his name mean? Jesus. 
Okay? He will save us from our sins. Well done, class. Took a little while. We're plowing this morning. Took me 20 minutes to scrape the ice off my car, too. All right. He's the one who saves. We're the one who need rescue. None of us can stand before him and say, I am utterly clean. I'm good, aren't I, Lord? No. All our righteousness is as filthy rags, says this Isaiah before the Lord. And it's God himself who did something for that to clean us up. He loves you that much to become as one of us, to suffer upon the cross. And Isaiah spoke about this virgin conceiving 600 years before. Isn't that amazing? And it's now come to pass. Fulfilling the covenant promise of God that God would bring his rescue through a virgin who would conceive at the appointed time. And when you look at this passage, you see the meaning of Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. He's with us in his presence and he's for us rescue and it's, and it's been predicted so long ago, but that's not all. What's this really about? Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Read it a thousand times. It's not new. This is a text about Joseph's obedient response to the revelation of the Lord in his life. Joseph did what the angel commanded him. He married Mary. Think about what the conversation was like in that village afterward. Among his friends and the peer pressure. He's a young man. We think Joseph anywhere early 20s to possibly late 20s, maybe early 30s. Think of what they're saying to him. I will obey the Lord. I will name him Jesus because he will save us. See, this whole text is about Joseph's obedience. And if you think Mary gets overlooked in our Christmas celebrations, I think Joseph gets overlooked much more. What a remarkable man! What faithfulness, what obedience. He's told, and he does it. There does come a time in the Christian's life that when the Christian comes to realize that God's word says it, that's it. It's settled. I must walk in that revelation and that light. I went to, I was a, elementary school teacher in Alexandria, Virginia, right into the Fairfax County border in Arlington. We were the UN of elementary schools. We had 45 different nationalities in the school, and I was the only man in the whole school, me and the janitor. And the music teacher was a sweet Egyptian Christian woman named Susie Anton. She was raised in the Coptic church. She came to America. Her husband was an engineer. And they went to Columbia Baptist Church. It's one of the great Washington, D.C. churches. Chuck Colson went there. Great preaching, great mission, did great work all over the city. And, you know, being Baptist, you know, and growing up, and, and smack talk is one of my love languages. Um... 
One of those one of those days at a Bible study that we and the faculty had together, just about ten of us got together and we would pray. It was really quite nice. And I, I kind of said, well, the Bible says it, you know, I believe it, and that's it. And she looked at me and says, she looks at me, because she goes to a Southern Baptist church and says, excuse me? She said, Gene, there comes a time in the Christian's life where you just have to settle. This is what God's word does, says, amen? And I said, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm all for Q&A. I'm all for meet me at Jake's if you got a question. I'm all for being available and, and talking over these things, but the reality comes that we must adjust to what God says in our lives, like Joseph, and walk with a heart of gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us. Because there comes a time if you're in the army and the general comes by, you salute. When the teacher comes in the classroom, you sit down, you shut your mouth, and you listen to the, the teaching. And if God says something clearly in his word, and I'm not talking about hints and suggestions and secondary discussions that we can have over coffee. I'm talking about the truth and the essentials. We must walk in obedience. Not to earn our salvation, but out of the freedom that obedience affords me in a walk with Jesus Christ. What would it be like in closing to be a man or a woman like Joseph and Mary this Christmas? Perhaps to just spend some more time in God's word. In prayer. Carving out, get up 15 minutes earlier. Go to bed 15 minutes earlier if you can. Perhaps to, to serve in a certain ministry at this time of year. We need help. Perhaps to forgive someone. There's no time like Christmas with all the family around the table to forgive one another. Because we are a people who are in need of forgiveness. We too ought to be forgiving. And perhaps finally, for some gathered here this morning, perhaps maybe it's to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. Jesus has come, and our liturgy affords an opportunity for you to confess it. I encourage each and every one of us just to participate in it this day and come to the Lord's table, which is symbolic of what He has done for us, not what we can do for Him. And we don't have to clean up our act, as He cleans our act up as we place our trust in Him. So we look at this extraordinary familiar passage and we recognize that something extraordinary is happening in this birth God is with us he's for us so that we might walk in his light for the remainder of our days through the lives of these two obedient young people salvation has come let's pray Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this day and grateful for once again that you don't leave us to ourselves. It's so familiar, but we can often miss it. And we pray that this Sunday we wouldn't. That we would see you in a new way. In the crises of our lives, in the ups and downs. And to know and recognize that even though life isn't as we would have chosen at times, that you are with us and you are for us. 
in our Lord Jesus. So many in our culture, Lord, want to keep Jesus in the manger, manageable, a nice little Stepford wife God. Lord, I pray that we would have nothing to do with that this year and that we would recognize that not only are you in our crisis and you're with us, you are for us in our rescue just because you loved us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.